All right, good stuff. Well, it's a real privilege for us today. Um, whenever we can have uh, mich- our missionaries with us, it doesn't happen very often, not because uh, we, we don't want to have missionaries here. It's just schedules and travel and all this stuff making it difficult, and they have to be at so many different places when they are in Canada. So we are privileged. I want you to be, I don't I can't tell you what to do, but like, Express your thankfulness in some capacity uh, before the end of the, the day. Uh, Paul and Coles uh, are, are our missionaries. Every month, uh, our church makes a contribution to their missions work every single month. And some of you give towards that every single month. And uh, it's a big deal that Paul and Lynn are here with us today. They had to travel not just from Europe to get here, but uh, from southern Ontario to get here today. So we are super uh, privileged to have them with us. And uh, we've tried to do this before, but it just didn't work out for one reason or another. But they're here today. All right. So I'm pumped. So I'm just going to hand things over to them. And they're going to come on up here and uh, share a bunch of stuff. And uh, there we go. Wow, good morning, church. We are really excited to be here with you. And, uh, and to those of you in Little Current, special greetings. You know, Scripture tells us we're to greet each other with a holy kiss, so that's for you in Little Current. Yeah. And so the last time we were here, which is a few years ago, we were busy, happy in our work in Africa. In fact, we spent 24 years in Africa on two different occasions. And uh, when we first went there in 1979, we went to a little Bible college with six students. When we left in 2020, that little Bible college had become a Pentecostal university with over 4,000 students. Pan-Africa Christian University has been a great success story of our work in Africa. But we began to feel that God was releasing us from our work uh, in, in Kenya. And so in the year 2020, we answered a call to, to go to Central Europe. And so we live and we work in the country of Slovakia. And we also work in, our, in uh, Hungary, which is to the south. And... Uh, uh, just so you can see our neighbors and you can see that we are a neighbor to Ukraine and so we we carry the concern about the war that's taking place there. But exciting things are happening in Ukraine and in a little while Lynn is going to tell you some of the things that are happening, some of the things that we can rejoice about in the midst of all the horror of the war in Ukraine. We went to Slovakia to work in the Bible college there called Gateway College. They asked me to come and to to begin a leadership program, which is called the Leadership Academy. And the uh, Gateway College is the Bible college of the Apostolic Church. The Apostolic Church is the Pentecostal denomination in Slovakia. And you can see me here with uh, the graduates of our very first Leadership Academy program. And then this year, Uh, These are the graduates from this year. And in this picture, you'll see students from Slovakia, Czech Republic, Hungary, and Slovenia. And uh, how exciting. This is a nine-month program. And here I am with our two students from Slovenia. One is a pastor. The other works with university students in Slovenia. And... um, 
And th in this picture, this guy came from Germany. He moved his family to Slovakia to join the Leadership Academy. And so you can see that through Gateway College and through the Leadership Academy, we are having an impact in training leaders throughout Central Europe. And in this picture, I'm standing there with Dr. Miro Toth. Miro Toth was the man who invited Lynn and I to come and work in Slovakia. He is the senior pastor of our home church in the city of Nitra. And he is the one who founded Gateway College. When he founded the college, he told the, the leaders he, that he would uh, lead it for 10 years. Well, that 10 years came up earlier this year. And so the board looked hard for a replacement, and they found me. So I'm the president of Gateway College. And you know, thank you. And I, I love what I do. I love being president. I love leading that institution. It has so much potential, and it's a big challenge to train leaders in Central Europe. And so there I am. I'm the leader. Now, we have four programs. We have a daily program where students come in and study every day. We have a program where people come in on the weekends and study on the weekends. We have a school for evangelists that meets twice a year for one week. And we also take theological education to a local church. And in this picture, you see this is in a, a village. We have an apostolic church in this village called Zalate Morace. And this is taking theological education to the local churches. And this is the pastoral team we work with. Now, I work strictly in Gateway College. Lynn lectures in the college, but she's also one of our pastors in our home church in the city of Nitra. And uh, uh, we've also planting a church in Budapest, which is the capital of Hungary. And Lynn is on the pastoral team of that church as well. And so, uh, and look into the faces of these people. We love these people. These are great people. They love the gospel, they love what they do, and we are so privileged to work with these people in Slovakia and in Hungary. And so our church, our home church in Nitra, as I said, has planted a church in Budapest. Budapest is about two and a half hours from our city. And I wish I could tell you this, that this was our church in Budapest. Uh, it's not our church yet. This is the parliament buildings in, in Budapest, and it's probably one of the most beautiful parliament buildings anywhere in the world. It all started when Miro Toth and his wife, they rented an apartment in Budapest, and they began a Bible study, and then they slowly began Sunday services, but it quickly outgrew what was happening in their apartment. So we looked for a place, and we found a coffee shop that wasn't open on Sunday. And so you see the coffee shop, on the picture on the left, we reconfigured it for a Sunday service. And on the right, this was our very first service in that coffee shop. But over the, over the months, we have grown and grown and grown. We outgrew that. So we had to look for a new place to meet. And look where we landed, the Budapest Jazz Club. <laughs> and you see, so when you walk down the street, as you see on the left, we always have people out there with these signs welcoming people. And you see the name of our church is Equippers. It comes from Ephesians, equipping God's people for works of service. That's the name of our church. And you see on the picture on the left, you see that woman with the white top and pink pants? A wicked, wicked sinner in Budapest, one of the worst. Ever. Oh, oh, sorry, sorry, sorry. That's my wife, Lynn. 
Sorry, that's my wife, Lynn. She's not that bad. So there we are. So I'll show you what it looks like when we have church in the Budapest Jazz Club. There it is. But you know what? We have grown and we have grown. We have filled out the Budapest Jazz Club. And now we're looking for a, another place that we can rent and conduct our services in Budapest. You know, Budapest, the capital of Hungary, is a large cosmopolitan city. It's a world-class city. And people come literally from all over the world and live in Budapest. This picture is people. This is taken in our church. These are people from our church. And you can see from the skin tones, people literally from all around the world. And they come and they, they meet at our church. And we are so thrilled to be part of what God is doing in Slovakia and what God is doing in Budapest, Hungary. And uh, so this is one of our classes at Gateway College. And you see on the left, the arrow in the circle is over uh, one of our students by the name of Peter. Peter is an outstanding graduate of, of Gateway College. And, uh, and Lynn's going to come and tell you more about Peter and what he is doing in Budapest. But before she comes, I just want to take a moment and thank you for your support. You have been such a... a a valuable partner, so worthwhile. We thank God for you. We pray for you all the time that God will bless you and prosper you. But we want, Lynn and I, this morning, we just want to honor you for your faithfulness to Christ, for your faithfulness to world missions, for your faithfulness to, to church planting and church growth and theological education. We simply couldn't do what we do. We couldn't go where we go without you. And so this morning, we just want to honor you and bless you in the name of Jesus for, for what you do for him and what you do for us. Thank you. Thank you. Lynn. As Paul said, we're just so excited to be here. And uh, I said to Paul, wherever we go, it has to be Espanola first. So here we are. <laughs> so we're very excited. Um, yeah. So Peter is this young student here. And uh, I just want to tell you a little bit about him because he is the not-so-secret secret behind the church growth in our church. Um, even when he was in Bible college, he would stop and pray for people in class, and they would get healed. And he began to realize the Lord had a very distinct call on his life. And he became completely uh, just an evangelist, like par excellence. And when Miro and Marta uh, agreed to start this church with the Lord, they said to the Lord, we need at least seven people to move with us from Slovakia to help us plant this church. And honestly, this is the group, except for Paul and I, the rest of this group literally moved from Slovakia to help start the church. And Peter was one of them. You see him down at the bottom there. And this is him, the picture that Paul showed earlier of inside. That's Peter right in the middle. He's one of our main worship leaders. He's the kind of guy, you know, guitar player. We went for a retreat up in the mountains. Slovakia is known for its mountains. Peter brought his guitar on the trek up the mountain. That's the, and, and at the top of the mountain, all he wanted to do was sing praises to the Lord and hear it echo. 
And so that's what we did. We climbed up this mountain. Well, I didn't. I, I'm afraid of heights. I was behind praying. Um, and, uh, but he's, he's just a crazy guy. He's the most sweet guy. And he is on the streets every day witnessing. He and another guy called Peter, who's on the far left, so Peter Strand here, and Peter, our other Peter, is going to show up in another photo. They're like insane. They, they do these skits. They hand out a drink called Hell. There is a drink called Hell. And they hand it out and say, free to anyone who'd like to talk about it. And they talk about it. And they have all kinds of creative ideas of how to start conversations. And they're helping our team go out onto the streets. They are, have been, become renowned. So much so that, I mean, we bring our grads from Slovakia so they can be trained on the streets of Budapest and go back to Slovakia and do the same thing. But not only that, European Initiative and YWAM and other organizations are now sending their teams to our team to be trained how to do evangelism on the streets. And this is just so exciting for us. And it it has caused our church to grow from 15 in a living room during COVID to, I think it's like 150 in two years. Uh, yeah, so you can do the math on that. And we're, we're, as Paula said, we've outgrown our building. And of course, we're next door to Ukraine, and you need to pray for Ukraine. There's horrific things happening, but in the middle of it all, there are amazing things happening as well. And there's revival going on. Apparently, there's a little Bible school in Lviv, and our main director, Steve Herzog, went to do a class there, talked about evangelism. The six students went out, and they planted six churches, and all those churches are doing well. Steve also told us he went to see a pastor who was going to give up. He had 30 people in his church, and of course, through COVID, things went down, and then, of course, the war, things just completely stopped, and this man didn't have enough money to feed his family, and so he said to Steve he was going to quit. He was going to move, get a job, and he said, if I could get you 500 euros a month to help feed your, that's about $750, would help feed your family, would you stay? He said, yes, I would stay. So he stayed. Church grew back up to 30, grew to 60, grew to 100. They needed a new building. They got a new building. Seats about 300. It's full. And this is what he says every Sunday. How many of you have been here once already? Okay, he said, now you stay home next week because we need your seat for newcomers. We need your seat for the unsaved that we're going to bring in this week. So if you've been here once or maybe twice, you stay home. We need your seat. Imagine if you had to say that. A couple of seats empty here this morning. <laughs> we could send them here. <laughs> That's how crazy it is in Ukraine right now. So in spite of the horror, and there is horror, I mean, we don't want to diminish that. God is doing stuff. And here's this couple that I've only met on the phone, actually, Sergey and Victoria. And they're crazy. So what they're doing, I'm sure you've heard that a lot of the um, older people, especially the older widows, 
in Ukraine have refused to move and go out with their families. They want to stay with their home. Grandpa gave us this land. We don't want to lose our land. This would mean the Russians have won, so they've stayed. But a lot of them are getting bombed out in their homes. And so Sergei and Victoria are going to places like this. So this used to be Hope's house. Her name is Hope. And um, she got bombed out. So she and another 210 people, Sergey, have built new homes for them. This is Hope, Nadezda, and they're calling them Hope Homes. And we personally, with monies from Canada, helped build Hope a house. And this is what it looks like. They are taking old containers and transforming them into homes and they'll deliver them right to the spot where grandma hope lived and here she is she's on the phone to me in this photo saying it's here it's here um i can't understand her because she's speaking ukrainian sergey comes on and every now and then i would say she's saying it's here it's here and here she is getting uh, seeing inside her house for the first time and then all the equipment starts to arrive and she's actually inside her house and they make it into a beautiful little, like a, a, like a bed sit, right? And there's a kitchen and laundry and, of course, washroom and this whole little house for her. And they've done this 200, I think it's 210 times now. Each one of these homes costs $8,000. And people have just gotten excited about this and are helping to bring hope houses to those who have no hope. And so what's funny about our hope, I'll just go back there. If I zoom in, I can actually see her face. There's almost a smile on her face. I said to Sergey, please tell her to smile. We really like it when people smile in Canada. It's a big value for us. And he, and he said, she told me she's not going to smile because it could be used as Russian propaganda. And I said, okay, no problem, no problem. We're just happy she's happy, even though she's not smiling. So there's our hope. Um, yeah, and now they've had so much revival in their area that they've taken a bunch of containers and, uh, and made a whole church. And the front, of course, is not from containers, but the back is all containers that have been sorted. Anyway, over 200 people meet in this church already. It's incredible what God is doing in Ukraine. So pray for Ukraine, pray for Slovakia. And of course, in our region, in the Eurasia region of the Pentecostal Assemblies of Canada, we have two wars going on. We have Israel and Gaza. And um, we have people who moved from Russia to Tel Aviv to escape the war. <laughs> Did you get that? Yeah. And they are now going into bomb shelters and leading people to the Lord. They are taking food to the front in Gaza. They are constantly going with food and supplies and clothes, and they are reaching Arabs and Jews. And, and there's a revival going on in Israel. As our missionaries and other missionaries, I'm sure, global workers, are beginning to read the scriptures and pray with those who are afraid and show them how it says in the scripture that this, is a, this was going to happen, but that God is still in control in Messiah. Messiah has come and is going to come again, and he will bring justice, and he will bring everything right in our world. Anyway, people are getting saved. 
on the front in Israel. So we need to keep praying. We need to keep praying for the peace of Jerusalem. We need to keep praying for the end of this horror. It's, it's appalling. The people, the Palestinian people caught in the crossfire of this whole thing and innocent lives, and we understand that. But, Lord, we need to pray for the peace of Jerusalem and for our global workers that are there on the front line even today as we speak. And I want to speak this morning, and this is my first time ever speaking from my iPad, and it already went dark on me. Is this going to keep happening, people who've done this before? Let's see. If it does, I'm going to ask my husband to bring paper. We'll go back to the old paper bit, right? (laughs) I want to speak this morning a message that I I think is really relevant to us in the church, and um, yes, it relates at Christmas as well. They tell us that if anyone has a gun barrel put to their face, all they can describe later is the gun. The police tell us that they can't describe the person holding it, they can't describe the situation around it at that moment, but they can describe the gun barrel. And I got thinking about that. This just keeps turning off. I'm going to need paper. Good old paper comes to the rescue. And let's hope they're in order. And (laughs) yeah. I think life gives us a lot of gun barrels, right? I don't know if you've had a real gun put to your face lately. I haven't. I never have. But I've had people say no to me. when I didn't expect it. And maybe you've had um, someone ignore your plans that you thought were really great. Or maybe someone's got credit for your idea. Or maybe you were threatened by someone you hold really near and dear that they were going to do something. Or maybe you've had someone break your prom- their promise to you. I think we've all had that. Or maybe somebody made a promise and they haven't kept it yet. They keep saying they're going to. But there's this thing that says our focus narrows to the no or the threat or that's not going to happen or the broken promise or, or actually real danger. Some people are facing real danger, right? And what happens is our bodies go into fight or flight or they're, they're, they're recognizing two more, fawn, which means um, you begin to beg for things, or freeze, paralysis. Fight, flight, fawn, or freeze. And when that happens, as you probably know, all sorts of toxins get released into your system, and your body goes into I-can't-think mode. The cognitive bit of your brain does not work for a while. All you can do is feel, and you feel this freeze, fawn, uh, fight, or flight. That's all you do. And you cannot process, you cannot think. And any of you who are married and you've gotten into an argument, you, and you see your partner just shut down, and you realize, oh, no, that's it for the next few hours. <laughs> because these toxins are released into our system, and we literally don't get rid of them for hours. All of a sudden, our focus narrows. All we can think of is this one thing. Have you had that happen lately? 
everything goes out of focus. I want to talk this morning about getting back into focus and how do you do that and how do you remember what God has said in the middle of a situation where it feels like you've got a gun to your head. And we have to look at how to acknowledge the reality that's going on for us but not make it our identity. Big difference. There's acknowledging our reality but not making it our identity. Then there's grounding ourselves by remembering the last thing God said. What did he say? Did you hear? Were you working on what he had said? And then there's refocusing on his promises for the future so that we can see the bigger picture again. Healthy self-awareness, healthy God-awareness, seeing where he is, remembering, rehearsing, reclaiming the promises of God. And at Christmas, I think of Joseph. He had the biggest gun barrel of all, didn't he? <laughs> his, his beloved Mary comes and says, I'm pregnant. There's a gun barrel for you. That's all he could think of. He couldn't get his focus back out from that. And he thought about it and thought about it and, and, and decided on his own. He would put her away. He would do it privately. He wouldn't shame her. And then he got an angel. Oh, if only we could all get angels. Wouldn't that be amazing? But, but the gap between the gun barrel and the angel was a long one. How did he begin to refocus so that when the angel showed up, he believed him? How did he begin to do that? Well, I want us to look at that this morning. Uh, there are many stories in scripture we could turn to, but there's three in particular I want us to just look at ever so briefly. And I'm going to be asking the kids some questions at the end of this. Okay, kids? Just a couple, just to help the adults. Because I think you guys get it better than we do. So let's read this. This is one of my favorite stories, Mark 4, 35 to 42. It says, on that day when evening came, he said to them, remember what he said, let us go over to the other side. Now, that's just put there in the story for us to remember. <laughs> what did he say, everybody? Okay, and then he went to sleep, right? Okay, so this is what happened. Leaving the crowd, they took him along with them in the boat just as he was, and other boats were with him. I want to pause there just for a minute. I never noticed this till recently. There were other boats in that storm. But Jesus was in their boat, now, I can just imagine, because this, this is kind of how I am. If Jesus, if there were a lot of boats and Jesus got in your boat, would you stand just a little taller? Would you say to the others, oh, are we ready to go now? Jesus is in our boats. Like he's in our boats. I'm sorry, he's not in your boat. He's in our boat. You can just imagine the disciples were like, <clears throat> Hello, Jesus, really loud, you know, so everybody knew which boat he got in. So here they are, they go out, and now there's a storm. And here we come, and there arose a fierce gale of wind. Uh, Henry Blackaby calls it a God-sized storm. And the waves were breaking over the boat so much that the boat was already filling up. And Jesus himself was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him up and said, Teacher, do you not care that we're perishing? I think they said it like that. I don't think they said, teacher, don't you care that we read it like that, don't we? Teacher, don't you care that we're perishing? I think they yelled. And he got up and he rebuked the wind and he said to the sea, hush, be still. And the wind died down and it became perfectly calm. And then he turns and rebukes the disciples and he said to them, why do you have no faith? Why are you so afraid? 
And they became very much afraid and said to one another, Who then is this, that even the wind and the sea obey him? You see, when they started this journey, they knew he was the teacher. They knew he was the healer. And they called to him as that in the storm. Teacher, don't you care? But here's what they did in that moment. They insulted him. They said, don't you care? Now, here's something that they also knew about him. They knew that he cared. They keep saying in the stories, and he had compassion on the crowd, and he had compassion on the woman, and he saw the man who interrupted him, and he stops for Lazarus, and he stops for the woman who touched him. He cared. And when they yelled, don't you care? You see, that wasn't faith. And Jesus said, excuse me, I know that calling out to me feels like you're acting in faith, but that wasn't faith. That was fear. That was doubt. And that was actually insulting because you know I care. So what would faith have sounded like? It would have sounded like this. Teacher, we know that you care. Get up. We're drowning. Help. I think we're going to the other side. You said we're going to the other side. Get up. That's what faith would have sounded like. It would have said, this is what's happening. We, this is what we know about you. Uh, you're the one that needs to help us. We, we thought we were taking you to the other side. Now we realize you're taking us. Big change. That would be faith, right? But Jesus recognizes they have not called out in faith. Another story, and this is my, I find this the worst story in scripture, just the worst. David and his men, you know the story, they're running from Saul and, and David's fighting the Philistines and he, him and his men are off fighting and they come back to where they were with their women and their children and they have been taken by the enemy. And it says that they wept bitterly. They realized what had happened to their families. They wept until they could weep no more. David's two wives, Ahinoam and from Jezreel and Abigail, the widow of Nabal from Carmel, were among those captured. And David was now in great danger. Isn't this funny how we do this? Something goes wrong, we blame the leader. It's fun being a leader, isn't it, Pastor Jason? <laughs> um, you get, it must be his fault. It's got to be somebody's fault, right? David was now in great danger because all his men were very bitter about losing their sons and daughters, and they began to talk of stoning him as if that would help. Let's stone the leader. And it says, David found strength in the Lord his God. Another version says, he encouraged himself in the Lord. No one else was going to show up and say, this must be hard, David. No one else was going to do that. And he encouraged himself in the Lord. I love this, this phrase, encouraged himself in the Lord. So Paul and I recently read through the chronological Bible. Have you, any of you done that? It's amazing. So right at this juncture in the story, we get taken to Psalm 56. As if David wrote this psalm at this time. I want you to listen to it because it's gorgeous. Just amazing. Oh, no, let's just go back. I don't have it up there. Let me just read it from here. And he says this in Psalm 56. You can turn to it or swipe to it if you have it. Oh, God, have mercy on me. 
Don't let my enemies get away with all their wickedness. I love this. You keep track of all my sorrows. You have collected all my tears in your bottle. Remember what it said? They wept till they could weep no more. And all those tears, David sees them being gathered into a bottle that they're precious to the Lord. That he sees them. You have recorded each one in your book. My enemies will retreat when I call to you for help. This I know. Now, this is faith talking, right? This I know. God is on my side. I praise God for what he has promised. This is while his family are still not back. I praise the Lord for what he has promised. I trust in God. So why should I be afraid? What can mere mortals do to me? This is the leader whose men want to stone him, whose wife and children have been taken, and he's stopping and saying, what do I know? What do I know? This I know, God is on my side. This I know, my God is collecting my tears. This I know, what he has promised, he will yet do. I love this. I love this. And then the the, the Bible tells us that he doesn't assume anything. Even after he feels settled, he's calm, he's convinced God is with him again, he knows it. He says to the Lord, what shall I do? He doesn't just say, okay, God, I'm going to get them. Are you with me? (laughs) He says, God, should I go after them? And God says, go. Not one of them will be lost. And the story ends marvelously that he goes and they get all their sons, their daughters, their wives back. Aren't you glad kids? All the kids get returned. It's a good story. It started off scary, but it ends up in praises to our God because God honored David, calling out in faith and saying this, I know. The third story, very, very quickly before we go to our takeaways. Um, you know the story of the 12 spies? Remember, how many of you are old enough to know that song from Sunday school? 12 spies went to spy on Cain and 10 were bad, 2 were good. You know that song? That's a great song. That's a great song. Um, and so that's what happened. The people had been taken out of slavery in Egypt. They'd gone through the desert just for a short time. And then God gets them to the promised land. And he says, I want one from every tribe to go in and have a look around. Bring a report. Let's encourage ourselves in the Lord. Strengthen ourselves in the Lord. Because, yes, it's a great land, but there's giants there. But, you know, you need to go check it out and get ready to take the land. And ten come back, and they say... Uh, You know, there's milk, there's honey, there's fruit, but there's fortified cities and giants, and we are like grasshoppers in their eyes, and and they presume that they cannot take the giants, and they, they have no will to obey the Lord. Even though there's fruit, they become short-sighted. The giants become like this gun barrel that goes, wait a minute, look at that. And they lose focus on God, and they say this, essentially, the land is good, but our God is not good enough. That's what they said, basically. The giants are bigger than our God, is what they said, basically. And they felt they knew more than God. And the result was two million people started weeping and saying they wanted to go back to slavery. 
Imagine. <laughs> they believed the report of the ten. And God says this, and it's quite an interesting thing that he says. He says, these people have contempt for me. Contempt is hatred gone cold, isn't it? Contempt is just a nasty thing. When you meet contempt in someone, it means they are just cold and calculating and they have given up on you and they will not listen. And so God says to them, okay, you're going to get your will. <laughs> Never, you know, we always need to say your will, not mine be done. Because if God gave us our will all the time, we'd be in trouble. This is what happened here. They got their will. You don't have to go in. In fact, you're going to die in the desert. You don't get to come in. And only your kids will come in. And he sends them back for 40 years. 40 years. But Caleb, here's where the story gets good. I love Caleb and Joshua, don't you? And he comes back after 40 years because he and Joshua gave a good report. Let me just stop for a moment. And they said, the land is very, very good and our God is very, very good. <laughs> if he is pleased with us, he will lead us and give us the land. The enemy is not protected. He said, we can devour them. We are not grasshoppers. We are giant slayers. We are giant slayers. They had a sense of his promise, his pleasure, his protection, and they knew it would result in possession of the land. And God looks down at, at Caleb and Joshua, and he says of Caleb in particular, this man has a different spirit. He serves me wholeheartedly. And then unusually so, he gives Caleb a personal inheritance in the land. Nobody else got this. Everybody else got their tribe's inheritance, but Caleb and his family, and I love it, his daughter inherited, I love that bit, sorry, I just had to throw that in, and they inherited their own peace. It's incredible, this story, what God does when he sees a different spirit, a wholehearted devotion to him. It becomes personal, becomes much more specific and when they come back after 40 years and then they fight for five years to try and take the land and Caleb finally feels it's time to remind Joshua what God had said and he says he came to Joshua at Gilgal and he said remember what the Lord said to Moses the man of God when you and me when we were at Kadesh Barnea I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to explore the land of Canaan. I returned and gave an honest report. But my brothers who went with me frightened the people from entering the promised land. And for my part, I wholeheartedly followed the Lord my God. So that day, Moses solemnly promised me, the land of Canaan in which you were just walking will be your grant of land and that of your descendants forever because you wholeheartedly followed the Lord my God. And I love this. Now listen, this guy's 85 years old. Are you with me? How many 85-year-olds do you have in there? Yeah. Now, as you can see, the Lord has kept me alive and well as he promised for all these 45 years since Moses made this promise, even while Israel wandered in the wilderness. Today, I am 85 years old. I am as strong now 
as I was when Moses sent me on that journey, and I can still travel and fight as well as I could then. So give me this mountain. <laughs> give me the hill country the Lord promised me. You will remember that as scouts we found the descendants of Anak living there in great walled cities. But if the Lord is with me, I will drive them out of the land, just as the Lord said. And it says he went in and he killed all his giants. Not everybody did. And the land had peace. What I can see Caleb doing for 45 years is push-ups outside his tent. Can you? This guy went from 40 to 85 and stayed just as strong. I think he sharpened his sword every morning and told his children one day. One day, we're going back to get those giants. One day, this, this sword better be sharp. You better be strong. Everybody down now, get do your push-ups. How did he stay strong? He disciplined himself. He kept in shape. While he waited for God to keep his promise, he kept in shape. I love Caleb. When we were leaving Kenya, um, we're not 85. I just want to say that. Uh, but we're older. We could retire. And when we left uh, Kenya to go to Slovakia, they found out there were mountains there, and they said, oh, you guys are like Caleb. You're going to go take those mountains. <laughs> and so we, they started calling Paul Caleb in Kenya. <clears throat> Delayed promises make us give up hope, though, don't they? But Caleb stayed strong. He said, that's my inheritance over there. That's not just my inheritance. That's my kid's inheritance. So I don't know if you've given up just because it's too hard for you. Stay strong for your, the next generation. And maybe you don't have kids, but there are young people in our city, in our town. They need us to be strong for the next generation. Because if we don't do the push-ups and sharpen our sword and stay strong in the Lord, the next generation will be lost. And whoever gets the next generation wins. Let's make sure the Lord wins in our town. So how do we do this? Well, five very quick points. And kids, I might need your help. So there they are. We're going to go through them. So I want to just ask the kids for a minute. If mom and dad promise you some ice cream at the end of your day, and then they seem to be forgetting, what do you do? Yes. Say that really loud. Oh, you owe me another one. That, that would be a good thing. Okay, what, who else would say something to their mom and dad? Yes. You would remind them. I like that. Yes. And at the end there, same thing. That was what you were going to say. You would remind them. So I'm, I'm wondering if this is how you remind them. Maybe you cry a little bit, maybe, because you think maybe it's not coming. Maybe not the boys. Not the boys. No, definitely not the boys. But maybe you go to your parents and you say, you said we could have ice cream, right? Is that what you would say? You said we could have ice cream when we were done this and we're done that. See, kids know how to come in faith. They're like, this I know. Like you promised. And I'm coming with what you said. Not what I said. That's not what I said. I didn't say we were having ice cream. You said we were having ice cream, right? And then what if you were crying about something? What does your mom or dad tell you? 
What do they say at the back? These, uh, someone in the middle, would you like to answer? No? Okay, well, at the back. Nice and loud. What do they tell you if you're crying or upset? They say, it's okay. Yes? Nice and loud? They ask you what's wrong. Yes, they do, don't they? And do they tell you to like calm down, breathe slowly, <gasps> take a deep breath? It's okay, it's okay. Yeah, that's what they do, right? And then do they remind you as well what they said? They say, yeah, we said we're going to get ice cream. You're right, and we're going to do that. Yeah, that's what happens. That's the exchange. So why is it any different with God? (laughs) You know, this is what we have to do, people, adults, children, everybody. When we feel God has promised something, but, but it's not going seemingly like we expected, well, we acknowledge our reality. It's not happening, God. We're not getting the ice cream. Um, the storm is still crazy. My, my family's gone, and we're still in the desert. I don't know what it is. But when we come to the Father, and we say, like children, I thought you said, here's what's happening. And we don't take it on as our identity, but it's our reality. You know what I'm saying by that? I, I have so many things wrong with this body. It takes a lot for me to do normal. I don't know if you're all like that, but I have all kinds of stuff. And every day I do my stuff to make things happen like normal, but that's not my identity. My bad neck, my bad back, my bad whatever. It's not my identity. It's my reality. But I refuse it to be my identity. I'm a a woman called of God. Child of the king, right? And then we have to breathe slowly and ground ourselves. Sometimes we get ourselves in such a panic right we can't talk we can't think and we just we just make things get worse and worse and worse we have to slow down breathe slowly and just start to remember what we know concentrate on the last thing god said and don't doubt in the dark what god showed you in the light okay kids what happens when the lights go off at your place does everything change in your room Yeah, it gets scary, doesn't it? Even the shadows look like people walking around. You know there's no people in there, but it looks like people, right? How many of you adults were afraid of the dark as kids? Bunch of liars in the room. (laughs) Oh, I was afraid of the dark. I'll just put my hand up and say that. I guess I used to get my sister up at night if I had to go to the bathroom. She was asleep. I'd walk her down where the bathroom was, stand her up outside the door, go get her, and take her back to bed. I don't remember it, but she does. Um, We have to concentrate, though, on the last thing God said. I will never forget. My mom and dad came to visit us when we were in the States once, and we'd gone for three years to study, and the money ran out after one. Have you ever been there? Big plan, and everything's fine for the first year (laughs) and so my mom and dad were visiting and I said to my dad I said so dad I I think it's time for plan b and he's like who gave you plan a I'm like well that would be God he's like well I never made a plan b if God gave me plan a I'll never forget that so we stayed 
I don't remember how we got the money to eat that, those two years, but we did. We ate, we had clothes, <laughs> we survived. It was a story for our kids they will never forget. We got down to one dollar, literally, some days, and God provided. It was amazing. I wouldn't trade those two years for anything. Well, no, no, I wouldn't. No, I wouldn't. Right, here's the thing. We have to expect God to keep his promises. We worry our prayers. We don't pray our prayers, right? Eugene Peterson said that in the message. We have to come expecting he's going to do something. And if he doesn't do what I'm expecting, it's going to be better. It's going to be perfect. It might take longer, but the ice cream's coming. <laughs> because our God keeps his promises. I want to pray for you. Would you stand and let me pray? Father God, many things in life cause us to lose focus and to question, did God really say? Many voices call out, there's no hope, give up. But you, O oh God, are saying this to us today, I am the promise keeper. And when you are afraid, you can trust in me. I will calm the storm. I will give you my strength to fight your battles. I will remember you and give your children what I have promised. I am always with you, and I care. Amen.